This is Michelle McKenzie, and welcome to the WTF Podcast, where we demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. My guest is Arlen Hamilton. She has been pretty vocal about telling her story. Many of you listeners might already be quite familiar with her story of homelessness, sleeping on the floor at the San Francisco airport, being on welfare and food stamps to where she is now. She is the founder of Backstage Capital and author of It's About Damn Time, published before singer Lizzo's popular song by the same name. Backstage Capital is a venture capital firm dedicated to minimizing funding disparities in tech by investing in high potential founders who are people of color, women, and or LGBT. Backstage has now raised over $20 million and invested in more than 200 startup companies led by underestimated founders. In this episode, Arlen and I discuss what part of her story we do not know, what fuels her, and her strategies for using being underestimated as an advantage. Before we dive into the episode, is it vacation time yet? If you are seeking a high-quality private aviation firm that you can trust for your next business or personal trip, let the friendly and experienced team at Farringdon Jets help you fly in style Visit FarringdonJets.com to start planning your trip today. Click the link in the show notes for special offers. Arlen, welcome to the WTF Podcast. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. I know that you've been pretty vocal telling your story. Is there any part of your story that we don't know yet that is a critical part? of your transformation story. Is there anything that we do not yet know? I don't know necessarily, but I will say that even today I had a conversation. I was recording another podcast with a white man who is, by his own account, a very rich man, young man, and it got pretty heated. And I ended it very upset and, what's the word, insulted. And I'll be fine. and I've gone on, go to another day, but I realized after it that most people don't realize how much of that I go through, like how much fighting and protecting I do for myself and for the people I'm fighting for. And I think that you see headlines, good and bad, you see the headlines, so but not the in-between stuff. So I think that being such a day-by-day week by week, year by year process that it, that so many of us go through, that's the, that's the part we don't necessarily think about. I think that's a good lead into what's an obvious question, which is what fuels you? I think I have a pretty good idea, but let's go into it anyway. I want prosperity for black and brown people in the United States and for a lot of other people are underestimated. That's the simplest way I can say it. We we need wins. We deserve them. They're owed to us. And we also earn them on a daily basis. And so anything I can do to catalyze that is what I wake up thinking about and what I stand behind. I also have a little bit of anger and pettiness and resentment built up over time 
And it's a I see your post on IG. I see you. Yes, it's fuel. That's fuel too. It's not all butterflies and rainbows. I also am angry that so many of us have been treated the way we've been treated and continue to be. But I feel the most thing that I feel, like the most I feel is optimism. And I can't help it. I've tried to stop it. And I've tried to say, why, how are you such an optimist? I can't help but to be optimistic when I see so much brilliance. I'm so surrounded by brilliance. I have a portfolio of more than 200 companies led by underrepresented, underestimated founders, and I'm surrounded by brilliance. So how can I help but to be optimistic? You know, to end this conversation, I was going to ask you what gives you hope. Mm. But I think you just said it, Yeah, that you are doing that work to drive Black prosperity and to normalize Black wealth creation. And one of the ways in which you're doing that is through Backstage Capital. So tell us a little bit more about that. So Backstage Capital, I launched officially in 2015 after spending about three years studying and knocking on doors and working with founders. And it was simply the idea that there were so many black and brown people, women, LGBTQ people, all three I am I identify as, that were being overlooked, underserved, underappreciated, were building companies that could be viable. A lot of them were already viable, but more could be viable if they only had a little bit of a stepping stone like a lot of other companies. There's not a lot of successful companies that started out with nothing. Like a lot of successful companies did have some sort of privilege or some sort of spark kick them off. And I just wanted to be someone who provided that related to if anybody thinks, oh, it's like a charity or it's like this or that. I think more if you think of it like, what's your home state? If your home state is not California or New York or, I'm sorry, or Massachusetts, you probably don't have a lot of, you're probably not used to a lot of venture funding being there, just in general. And you may know a lot of people in your home state that are like backable that you'd want to back. So it's just as simple as that. What if there were a fund that would be the Kentucky fund or the Missouri fund and back people who come from Missouri or back people who come from Mississippi or back people who come from Illinois? And that's what I was doing. I was saying, what if there was a fund that would back black founders and see them for what they are at their earliest stages and see the potential in them rather than comparing them to, oh, you don't have friends and family round, a friends and family round, so you must not be viable. No, I just don't have friends and family who can spend an extra 10K on my side hustle. So that's how it started. And one by one, I got an investor here, an investor there. And then just brick by brick, I've built more than $20 million assets under management. I've invested in more than 200 companies, had team since 2016, we've had team members and been as big as 40 people, as small as two. And that's where we are today. We're down to two people, two partners, myself and Brittany Davis, who's a brilliant woman in New York. And we are looking down the barrel of the next seven years being in business. What does that look like? And what that looks like to us is writing checks, going from writing checks that were 25000 to 100000 where we are now is we write checks from 100000 to 250000 And we're going to go to checks of a million to five million in the future. That's what our goal is. As you think about the next five, seven years, what, what's your vision for 
the growth of these companies in your portfolio in terms of exits or them growing to the next stage? Yeah. So we invest, we started in 2015 at the end of the year. And so a lot of people look to us and say, we don't see any big exits out of backstage. And that's very reasonable to ask, but we invest a lot of cases. We were the very first investor at the earliest stages. So a lot of companies, it takes them seven, 10, 12 years to have an exit, to be acquired or to go public or to merge. And some co companies fail or quote unquote fail. So what I think will happen now, like what you're seeing now is you're seeing there are multiple companies in our portfolio who, when they, when we put money in them, they were worth maybe $5 million or $2 million or $10 million. And now they're worth like $50 million or 100 or 300 million or more. And so that's what's growing. They have maybe dozens or even hundreds of employees and they have tens or 20, tens of millions of dollars in revenue. So that all is happening right now. And that's in the last two years, we've started to see that really happen. And so the next five to seven years, that's where I see our exits, our first exits happening. I see over the next one to three years, we'll see a lot of our, I believe, a lot of our exits happen. So better metrics right now are looking at those growth markers, right? Growth. So it's not whether or not the companies have exited yet, because as you noted, a lot of them are starting from a position of disadvantage, right? They didn't yeah. have that in initial investment to really enable them to grow fast. So growth might be a little bit slower, but they're going to get yeah. there eventually. Yeah. So I think that transitions us nicely into the next question about how do you, what are your strategies for going from being underestimated to using that as your greatest advantage? Yeah. Because you I, get that a lot. As oh, you yeah. mentioned, you were having this argument with someone earlier before, and I'm sure that some of that stemmed from their underestimation of you. And you've gotten that a lot. So what are some of your advice that you get? For a while, I had been told by many people, including other Black investors, I think with the best intentions, I had been told by a lot of people, oh, you're not a real investor. You're not a real venture investor. Your check sizes are too small or you're investing in companies that shouldn't get backed. And then now they see our, those same companies getting $100 million rounds. And we just saw it earlier. But for a long time, because I was hearing that, I stayed the course. Like, obviously, we were here. But I would say for myself personally, I would say, oh, am I real? Am I the real deal? And that's why I talk so much about imposter syndrome, because I went through it for a little bit. But then about three years ago, I realized, oh, you know what? I'm me. Like, I'm the best version of me. I am exactly where I want to be, where I should be. I'm a person who can move mountains, make things happen that I don't see other people doing. And it may not be in this cookie cutter mold of looking like the exact investor that came out of this certain school and knows these certain things and can speak the jargon. But there is a catalytic effect that I have and an inspirational effect that I have that they don't have. And so my advice is the sooner that you can get to understanding who you are and what you want out of life and what you like doing, rather than listening to the noise of people who have no idea what it's like to be you, no idea what it's like to wake up as you and walk the earth as you. The sooner you can get to that, the sooner you can get to a confidence and a, a fulfillment that I have. Because even with these tough days, the tough hours or whatever, 
I am very confident in who I am, very proud of who I am. And so many of us need to be. I meet so many people, and I'm talking to people who don't have a dime in their bank account or people who are multimillionaires, all the same, who are underrepresented, who may be doing something great in their life, but they have this confidence problem. They really think, I don't know, I guess they're believing Instagram. They're believing that the next person is, has it better than them or knows something that they don't know. But I've met so many people and we're all figuring it out. There's not one person I've met who has it all together. There's just not. It's real time. Yeah. So like, so just getting closer and closer to understanding like, oh, like where I am is where I'm supposed to be. I don't experience FOMO, fear of missing out. I don't experience it. I don't experience it. Haven't in years. And the reason I don't experience FOMO is because I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Because if you think about it, like there's going to be all year, there's parties, there's events, there's, oh, I wish I was there. But there are people who wish they were there who are at the other, who are at the other event, you know, and they're looking at each other from across the country and they're like, oh, I wish I was over there. They're pointing at the other person. It's, it's never going to be enough. Other, or you go to an event and then there's like a VIP section and they're like, oh man, I wish I was a VIP. When you get to the VIP, guess what? Almost always happens. There's another VIP. There's a VIP. And you're like, there is always another level. There's always. So it's not wherever you are right now is where you're supposed to be. Now you can be, you can aspire for more and for to elevate, of course. But you're exactly where you're supposed to be today. I had a guest on and he was talking about how he realized he was fundraising incorrectly before. And as you talk about confidence, that he is the big deal at the table, that you are the one doing the work and you're picking investors that are going to come along on your success journey. Right? I think that yes. mindset shift is very important in terms of how you interact with who you seek funding from, right? Like, I'm the moneymaker at yeah. the table. You have to have I'm, that confidence. I'm the this thing. I'm yeah. the asset. Yeah. And I am allowing you to come on my success journey. So yep. that you can make money instead of the other way. Around. I want to press pause and go back a little bit. When you said, folks have said to you that you're backing companies that shouldn't get backed. What are companies that shouldn't get backed? I've been speaking with Arlen Hamilton, founder of Backstage Capital and author of It's About Them Time, about the aggression she receives from being who she is and doing what she's been doing advocating for and investing in underrepresented founders and why it's important to invest in founders that other investors may not see value in. Keep listening. I think when I'm referring to that was a, everybody sees the 200 per portfolio today and they're like, oh, cool, you did that. No, 2016 to 2018, maybe even to 2019, there were like very wealthy investors saying that I was investing in companies that were not viable. We're not going to make it. We're not. And I, to me, that's like a. That was based on what? I don't know. I guess they were too small or something. But here's the thing. I think it was a code because they weren't used to seeing us in these roles. And what I kept saying to them, and I'll keep saying it, is if you go back and you look at Y Combinator, YC, which is a, an accelerator that has 
born so many of the things that we use, the Airbnb and Stripe and so many others. Michael Siebel. Yeah. If you go back to their origins, they were a few, forgive me if this is insulting, but a few nerds in Boston and then a few nerds in Silicon Valley. And there were mostly men. I don't know if there were any women that were part of the cohorts. They were mostly guys. Alexis Ohanian was one of them. And they didn't know what they were doing either. They just had interesting ideas. They were like interesting people, had interesting ideas. What they got was monetary backing, not a lot, but enough. They had a stable home and they had mentorship that was all paired with, I believe you're going to do something big, not just mentorship. I'm doing you a favor. And it was as simple as that. And then, of course, they go on and they get connected. They get connected, right? They open doors for them. But these people left to their own were nothing special, nothing that was different than what we have. What I think was happening was that you were seeing the same kind of diamonds in the rough in our portfolio. You just They just didn't have a hoodie on and they didn't look like Mark Zuckerberg. So it was like not processing for them, for the people who were saying that. And all they needed was that sprinkle of what I just described. And that's what they got from backstage. And now, between that and, of course, all the other things that those founders themselves and those entrepreneurs did themselves, because we don't take the credit for that, now you're starting to see, oh, my goodness, this person just did a Series B and their company's worth $200 million. And four years ago, somebody was saying that I was crazy for even giving them the time of day. No, you were overlooking them. So there's just been, it's been a, you say, four-dimensional chess. I don't know how many dimensions of chess is in that, but it's been a lot. I don't know either. (laughs) It's been a lot. So that being said, Arlen, what are the top three qualities that you look for in founders that you invest in? I want them to be, have grit to them. I want them to be fast and have a little bit of, you you rock their core and you rock them and it doesn't rock their core because you're going to need it no matter who you are. I say, I want you to be hungry, not thirsty. There's a lot of desperation out there. Break that down a little bit. What's the difference between being hungry and not thirsty? I want you to be hungry. I want you to be passionate passionate and to know what you want, have the eye of the tiger. But then there's thirsty and thirsty is like desperate and begging. And that doesn't get you very far in this world. It doesn't get you very far raising funds. And... There are some people who mistake having this backstory, like I have a backstory, I used to sleep on the floor of the airport, I was homeless, with trying to pull on people's heartstrings. You might get that first round of funding, but you're not going to get the second one because they don't honestly care. Like investors don't care about that. What they care about is, oh, you had an interesting background. Does it affect the thing that you're doing right now? Does it make you a better person, a more better positioned to execute on the company that you're presenting to me. That's what I want to hear about. So I don't want to hear the thirsty story of I'm so sad and give me money because that's not who you are. You're, you come from kings and queens. That's not you. But the hunger can show through. So I'm going to do this with or without that funding. Like you said, you go on the journey with me or not. And of course, someone who is building something that is, in my opinion, like worthwhile and impactful and something that that I feel can make it has legs and that's very subjective as we're getting ready to wrap up Arlen what are the 
top metrics that you look for in the companies that you invest in? Well, I'm looking at early stage companies, which is most of the ones I'm looking at. I'm looking at what have they done before they met me with what they had. I compare the two. What do they have as far as like funding and resources compared to what they do? So I may look at two different companies and one has $10,000 a month and the other one has $10,000 a month, but one raised $3 million to get to $10,000 and one didn't raise a penny to get to $10,000. They're going to be two d- different conversations. I'm looking at how many people care about this, how many people would be upset if it didn't exist, how many people, or if you shut it down, how many people did you talk to before you launched it in full earnest? I get Sometimes I'll get the pitch decks and I'll have 15 mentors on their pitch deck, but none of them have invested. And I'm like, is that because they couldn't invest or is it because someone said, yeah, you could put my name on there? But did they invest their time? Did they talk to you every week? Different things like that where it's so early that a lot of it has to be anecdotal. A lot of it has to be instinct. And that's another thing that I decided a few years ago was that I wasn't going to try to be anything that I'm not. I'm, I really like sitting in this Simon Cowell, trust my instinct kind of feel because that creates... you're nicer than Simon, though. Well, apparently, apparently. <laughs> yes. Arlen, as we get ready to wrap up, as we're talking about Black history and Black future, what does the future look like for you as it relates to continuing to support the creation of Black wealth? Yeah, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And it may not make sense in the to- at the time, but then just like everything else I've done publicly, eventually it makes sense. And it's considered even above its ahead of its time. So it's I'll still work to put resources into the hands of black and brown founders i think it's going to evolve over time what that looks like i think the checks will be bigger but i also i've also invested in 27 venture funds because it can't just be backstage writing those checks so i'm looking forward to having a different role than just this direct investor i really am i think i can catalyze quite a bit like exponentially more by by having different roles and i don't know what that looks like 100 percent I just know that I'm connecting people and creating that blueprint is going to come in handy. I like that. Are there any last plugs you would like to make for your book, for anything else that you're doing that you yeah. want folks to know about where to find you? I yeah, all of the shows tell people. I think most people know where to find you, but for those well, who sure. don't, sure. yeah. Yeah, so if you check out the book, It's About Damn Times, the same as Lizzo's Grammy-winning song, but I came out with it before her song. So look, that's an easy way to remember it, though. It's called It's About Damn Time. Check it out. It'll, I think it'll inspire you and help you with a lot of things. I also have a podcast called Your First Million, and we now have video episodes of it that I'm so excited about. So go to you can go to YouTube, Spotify, Apple, all the places, and look up Your First Million. You look up my first name with it. Has some amazing interviews with people like Bobby Wagner from the NFL and so many other people. It's just so exciting. So every Wednesday morning we drop a new episode, and those are the two places I think you can, it's a great place to start. Arlen, thank you so much. Thank you to my listeners. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't keep good content to yourself. If you enjoyed this episode, let me know by rating, reviewing, and sharing this episode with three friends. Subscribe to the podcast at its home on the Alive Podcast Network and follow the podcast on your favorite podcast streaming platforms to get notified when new episodes drop. To be a guest or sponsor the podcast, email me at where's the funding at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram 
at Where's the Funding underscore podcast. And follow me, your host on LinkedIn, Michelle J. McKenzie, and follow the show page on LinkedIn as well. Join me next Friday for another episode.